0: Heavenly Father, we want to just acknowledge this morning. um, Some of us come this morning just needed to hear that song and be reminded that you're the king of the world, the king of all things visible and invisible. You are Lord, you are God, and we're not. And that's okay. That's how we want it. We want you to be in charge. We want your your will to be done on earth as it's done in the heavens, not ours. So, God, this morning, as we reflect on even the obscurity of spirit that comes our way when we make that choice, that you would give us peace with that, that you'd give us hope with that, and that you'd pave the way for the world to be a better place and our lives better because of it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. And I pray that everything that you have to say to every one of us from your word this morning, may it fall on fresh ears. Help us to hear. Help us to walk in your ways. And we'll rejoice to be your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. That was pretty weak. Good morning. Good good to see you this morning. Glad you made it. Winter's returned temporarily, but uh, glad that you made it. And uh, just trust that this morning. Everything that's taken place has been a blessing, and trust that the message I'm going to share this morning, I feel like God's laid on my heart, will bless you as well. So, Read this past week about a single mother of five who lives in a small town in rural Nicaragua. She and her family were abandoned by her husband when their youngest child was born handicapped, abandoned with five kids. Needless to say, Mary and her family are poor. They live in a barrio without a car, without the television, without internet. There's no government assistance. There's no opportunity in her life to get ahead of her family's most basic daily needs. It's an understatement to say that life is hard for Mary. But Mary does the best she can and uh, to meet the needs of her family. And most of the time she does it with a smile. Mary has used the lessons that she's learned through her suffering for this purpose, to educate lots of families in her community about the truth about children with disabilities. And here's her message to anyone who will listen to her. Those kids are loved equally by God and should be valued by their families and the community. With every fiber in her being, she promotes that, communicates that, tries to challenge people that, You could say that Mary has risen above obscurity and suffering and poverty, and she's become someone great in God's eyes because she's communicating something that is very dear and near to the heart of God. How's she done it, you think to yourself? Single mom, five kids, the youngest of which is a special needs child, in poverty, in a third world country. with no money, with very, you know, no privilege, very little education. How has she done that? She's been inspired and helped by the courage and example of many overcomers who are talked about over and over in the pages of Scripture, is how she's done that. That's been what's called her back to, to focus and to center over and over again, just as those stories can call us back to focus and center. Today we're going to be learning, as we have been for the last few weeks, from the life example of a man named Joseph. He was the great grandson of, of Abraham. He's the namesake of, of Jesus' earthly adoptive father, Joseph. Joseph of the Old Testament is a great man, son of Jacob, a great man, a, a great example of an overcomer. And today we're going to be focusing particularly on the biblical account of his life and how it shows us the keys to overcoming obscurity, the keys to overcoming obscurity. And if you've missed the last few weeks, I'm glad you're here, but you need to know that we've learned from Joseph as we've gone along the last few weeks. We've learned from him as he was betrayed by his brothers, as he was sold into slavery in Egypt. We've learned from Joseph as he was um, as he found himself in slavery, and of all things rose to a degree of prominence and influence, even in slavery, in the wealthy home of the captain of Pharaoh's guard. A man named Potiphar. It was an amazing story. But we've also watched in his place of prominence there as Potiphar's wife lusted after him. And when he wouldn't play along, she deceitfully accused him of attempted rape. And we watched and learned from him as he was thrown into prison. For all practical intents and purposes, probably expecting to rot and die there. Instead of rotting there, the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph and miraculously eventually rose again to a degree of prominence even in prison. He became the chief steward of the warden in the prison. And last week as he was in that prison, we read the account biblically of how he accurately interpreted the dreams of the king's cupbearer and baker in the prison. And with that in your mind, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible if you've got one with you. Uh, Open it up. If you don't have one, grab one out of the shelf in the chair in front of you. We're going to look at Genesis 41 together. We're going to read several verses, but we're going to pick up the story in that passage. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you. So Genesis chapter 41 is where we're going to be. As as you're turning there, I want to remind you what Joseph told the king's cupbearer after he interpreted his dream. Just listen carefully. This is what Joseph said. We're going to start in verse 41. You're not at the verse I'm going to read here. But he says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, Joseph said, and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. Please remember me and do me a favor when things go well, for you Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place where I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Well, do you remember? Did Pharaoh's cupbearer remember Joseph? Do you remember? Do you remember him when he went back to, was restored to service? No, no. Pick up with me. You found Genesis 41. Just look at the verse, the last verse of 40 there, verse 23, just before. Bible says that Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. And it's just like the Bible piles on. Never giving him another thought. It's like he didn't just forget him. He just never even came to mind again, is what the passage is saying. A little discouraging as the weeks, months passed for Joseph. He probably realized he was forgotten yet again. In fact, Genesis 41, start with me in verse uh, verse 1 there. The Bible says that two full years later, how many years? Two, two full years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile rivers when this dream came to him. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. And then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the river bank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy cows Fat cows, and at this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. You ever had that where you have a dream, you just kind of like you're startled and you wake up, and it was kind of a weird dream, and you kind of go, What do do I do with that? But you're tired. Pharaoh was tired. It goes on, it says, verse 5 But he fell asleep again, had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind, and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. I think that's interesting. Let me just, you know, extra credit here. It's like he's having a dream that he doesn't think is a dream. You see, it's like he wakes up and realizes... I wasn't there experiencing this. It was a dream. okay? Just gravy there, extra. Some of us really like gravy. So, <laughs> verse 8. Next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by their dreams, and so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. How many could, could explain it, it? Had a clue? Zero. None of them. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Now, remember, this is two full years later. Two full years later, he finally speaks up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, can't even remember how long ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison. There's a young Hebrew man with us in the prison. You see what's going on here? He's like, who was a slave of the captain of the guard. This is what he's doing. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pretty good evidence that you interpreted the dream accurately. You know, it's none of this, you know, weird astrology stuff. I mean, it's like, you're going to be impaled on a pole. Well, it either happens or it doesn't. You know, it's pretty clear. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from the prison, and after he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Here's Joseph's response. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And so Pharaoh told Joseph, his dream. If you read the verses that follow, the rest that follows, it basically is, is the recounting of the dream. Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream. And Joseph hears it and begins to explain to him what, what's involved. He makes several suggestions to Pharaoh about how he might respond to the aspects, various aspects of the dream. And then the Bible, after, after Pharaoh or, or Joseph makes all of these suggestions, the Bible picks up again, verse 37. Look there in your text. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You'll be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing, hung a a gold chain around his neck. And then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt, and Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. This is the dream of every teenager. Have that kind of authority, and, uh, and some of us who are grown teens. Now, Joseph models in these verses a lot of things, but but he models for our purposes this morning several keys to overcoming obscurity, to moving from a place where your life is feeling insignificant, like you're accomplishing nothing, to, to a place where you're accomplishing something that God would be proud of and you'll be proud of and will make a difference in somebody's life and it will last for more than just, you know, the short term of your existence. These are keys to overcoming obscurity that all of us are wise if we learn. And real quickly, what I want to do this morning is draw your attention to these keys. We're going to apply them as we go. When we get the end, we'll be done, okay? So I just want to encourage you, take a pen and a piece of paper, and jot these keys down. These are important. Because can I, uh, can I say that most of us feel like our lives are fairly obscure? Like what we're doing is not really accomplishing that much. It's the nature of humanity to feel that way. The world's a big place. Part of the disillusionment when you graduate from college, I think, in these days, is that you have been told since you were this size, or actually from this size, you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want to do. And, and you get big, you, know, you grow up, and now you're graduating from college, and you want to go right back here. Because there's nobody telling you that you can do anything you want. Suddenly they're telling me you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Uh, you can't work here for this reason, you can't do, you know. And we're only going to pay you this. And how do you move from a place of obscurity to a place of meaning and significance and worth? A place where you accomplish something that matters. There are five keys that I'm going to highlight this morning that, uh, to, to overcoming obscurity that show up in the life of Joseph. And I, and I have to tell you, I had several others. I just can't cover them all this morning you wouldn't give me that much time. And so uh, so I'm going to hit these five because they're the big ones, and my hope is that you'll read through the text and and reflect on others there too. The first key to overcoming obscurity is a counterintuitive one to our culture. The first key is this. Don't promote yourself. Write that down. That's worth writing down. Don't promote yourself. We have to write it down because that is so counterintuitive to our culture. We are taught from our early days of... You know, if you want a job, you've got to learn how to promote yourself. This is the culture we live in. But one of the keys to overcoming obscurity is, is letting someone else promote you. Sing your praises. It's not promoting yourself. Look at verse 15. It's interesting to me. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard, I've heard that when you hear about a dream... You can interpret it. What's gone on here? Someone has spoken endorsement of this individual. He didn't promote it. I think of all the things that Joseph could have said at that point about himself. Oh yeah. Oh, I need, I got a dream. I am your man. I can interpret dreams. Did you hear the one about the cupbearer? It was really good. And then, uh, and then if that doesn't impress you, you know, then there was the baker, your baker. I mean, and I met him in your, in your prison. You know, he could have gone off on this. And did you hear the one about, about the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to me? And he, he could have, This is what some of us are tempted to do, at least. And uh, that's not what Joseph does. What do we learn from Joseph here? Real quickly, we just learned that a mature, godly person is cautious about self-promotion. You let another sing your praises. Joseph learned this the hard way. It was part of why his brothers betrayed him. He was tired of hearing him sing his own praises. The principle is don't promote yourself, let your gifts and actions speak for themselves. Let another sing your praises. It'll lead to advancement. That's what it'll do. Second key to overcoming obscurity that we see right here in uh, the life of Joseph is that that what do you do? Instead, well, you give God credit is what you do. You focus on giving God credit for what's gone on that's good in your life. Look at verse 16. This is Joseph's response. He doesn't say, oh, look at me. No, he says, it's beyond my power to do this, to, to interpret these dreams for you, Pharaoh. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. I mean, Joseph just recognized what all of us... Most of us spend a lot of time in our lives trying to learn this, but it's very important that we learn it, because we will learn it. It's true. We have to learn that every ability, every gift, every resource, every bit of knowledge, every relationship, every resource, every opportunity, including our health, all of these things and more are gifts from whom? God. The gifts you and I have can be turned on or off by God. He can make one well or take away that health if he chooses to. He he is the king of the world, as the song said. Not you, not me. And all who are humble and wise publicly understand that, and verbalize some credit in God's direction. You may not like the football players, you know, who are pointing toward heaven sometimes or kneel in the end zone, and you may go, oh, that's like shoddy showmanship or whatever. It's how they can show in some practical way that the abilities that they have are not their own. Get over it. Do some of them go too far? Sure. So do some of us. In other settings. It's not about being obnoxious. It's about learning to give God some public credit. Joseph did that, of all places, in a pagan court. A pagan king's court. They worshipped every god known to man except the God of the Hebrews. But here in this place, what's Joseph do? He gives him credit. Are we doing the same? We want to move from a place of obscurity to a place of influence and prominence where where maybe we're making a difference in the world. Maybe maybe it's not so much prominent as much as just making a difference. It's about learning to give God some credit. Not promoting ourselves, giving God some credit. Third key to overcoming obscurity that we see in the life of Joseph in this instance, and really this one just overshadows chapter 41, 42, 43, 44, on to the end of the book. This key is that we need, to be, we, we need to learn to be grateful, not bitter. We need to learn to be grateful, not bitter. Now, this key is not stated specifically in the text. Some of you are thinking, where is that specifically in the text? It's not stated specifically in the text, and yet it is conspicuous in some ways. Let me show you what I mean. How does Joseph respond to the cupbearer's forgetfulness? I mean, one moment he's, he's just been shaved and he's change of clothes and probably a bath, though it didn't say that. He, he's standing before Pharaoh for the first time, and, and in this moment he's still a slave who's just like temporarily been removed from the prison. Okay, next thing you know, he is the second in command, and nobody moves a hand or foot without him. And he's got a signet ring to show for it, and everywhere he goes, somebody's shouting, kneel down, okay? In that kind of scene... How does Joseph respond to the cupbearer's forgetfulness? What's he do? Nothing. We don't know. We don't know. You know why we don't know? Because Joseph didn't make a big deal of it. He was too busy being grateful to be bitter. He was looking forward, not backward. Some of us would do well to learn from Joseph. We spend vast amounts of time looking backward at everything that went wrong. I, you know, I just think of this. I mean, think of the pity party. Think of the pity party that I could have if I was Joseph. I was sold into slavery. Oh, I deserve reparations. Reparations for somebody. And you know, I was thrown in a pit. And I'm going to sue somebody because it dinged my elbow. I've never, been able to, I've never been able to throw a baseball quite the same ever since. On and on and on in our generation, we would go with this, am I not right? This is who we are. And on some level, we're no different than mankind throughout history. We just have more money, more flexibility to let this stuff go in our culture. Joseph doesn't waste his time with that. Why is that? Because gratitude is a habit for those who rise above suffering and obscurity. It becomes a habit. It's almost like they, they seek it out. They're looking for the silver lining. They're looking for how I can give God credit. I'm looking for how, how I can praise God for what is in spite of what was. We're going to talk more about this next week because our theme next week is overcoming the past because this is a big deal and it's a huge deal for most of us in our day. But the principle here, the key to overcoming obscurity that we see in Joseph today, I want to highlight here is is if we're going to overcome, overcome obscurity, you and I have to embrace gratitude, not bitterness. We have to do it have to do it. And if Joseph can do it, you can too. I can too. Fourth key to overcome obscurity, we need to become conspicuously filled with God's Spirit. That's worth writing down. We need to become conspicuously filled with God's Spirit. Joseph didn't have to tell Pharaoh that he was filled with God's Spirit and godliness. Pharaoh just opened his eyes and could see it. It like screamed from Joseph's life, his words, his insight. Look at verse 38 there in the text, uh, chapter 41 of Genesis. Pharaoh asked his officials, "Can, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? If somebody said that, you know, during a press conference today of a president... Can we find anyone? You know, as as the health care bill gets rolled out, whatever the latest iteration is. Can we find anyone? So obviously, would there be a response? That's a dumb question, isn't it? It'd be like everybody in the room talking over the top of everybody. Because this is a room where power is present. This is the exact same kind of scenario here. If it wasn't for the fact that everybody else in the room was dumbfounded... And it was so obvious to them. There would have been a protest here, but there was no protest because everybody is in astonishment at the insight, the wisdom, that clearly came from some source other than just Joseph's wisdom. Here's how we assure that people can tell that we're filled with God's spirit like that. We need to do like Joseph. We need to center our lives... On God. We need to center our lives on not becoming someone great or noteworthy or important. We need to center our lives on God, hearing Him, obeying Him, trusting Him, embracing His way of thinking. That's what Joseph did when he was in the pit. That's what he did when he was in Potiphar's house. That's what he did when he was in prison. And so when he finds himself in Pharaoh's court, no great big change. It's a habit. It's how I live. It's how I roll. It's how he thought. Pharaoh could see it in Joseph. Here's the truth about us. If we'll imitate Joseph in this and put God first in every area of our lives, day in and day out, whether it benefits us or not, whether it lands us in a pit or not, a time will come when others will look and say, The Spirit of God is in that person. And it won't be because you told them. It won't be because you're obnoxious. It'll be because the presence of God is with you. People hear you, hear Him when you speak, and they feel Him when you're present. And it's a key to overcoming obscurity because it's rare in our day. The fifth key to overcoming obscurity don't believe any praise that's heaped upon you. This is worth writing down. The others are worth writing down, but this is like, write this in all caps. Okay. Don't believe any praise that's heaped upon you. And I know even the way I phrase that, some of you are going, oh, well, you need to believe something. No, 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 no. We, are, we OD on self-worth kind of stuff, you know. We don't need to believe any of the praise that we hear. We, we really don't. Listen to what Pharaoh said to Joseph, and think about this. Pharaoh says to Joseph, verse 39, Since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams, of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Some of us dream of a day when someone would say that about us. But the fact is, someone said it about Joseph, and did he believe that? The answer is no, and you can tell by the way he lives the rest of his life. He didn't embrace, he didn't swallow the Kool-Aid. Joseph wasn't the wisest man in the land, much less the room, and neither are any of us. We, you and I, must beware of giving pride a foothold in our lives just as Joseph was very careful about that. I want you to think about this with me. Power corrupts because people have begun to believe the praise that they've heard. That's why power corrupts. And we say power corrupts absolutely because most of the time, I mean, few are the people who don't believe the press that they hear, the applause that they hear. Somewhere along the line, they begin to believe it, and it leads to their demise, and whatever was effective that they were doing, it descends. Joseph's life is an illustration. The power may corrupt in a lot of situations, but it does not always corrupt. It's possible. It doesn't have to be that way. It is possible to have power and if you don't believe the extravagant things, the flattery that's thrown your way, you can continue to make a difference in whatever way God wants you to make a difference. What you do instead is you just give God the credit and you do it Not just with your mouth, because there are plenty of people, plenty of Christian people of the centuries who have done that. But the truth is, you have to give God the credit in here. It's like you have to believe to the core of your being that you are not all that. That God is. That all that you have is a gift. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve to keep it. You just have to give it back to him. So much more could be said about that. but I want to close with these thoughts while you ponder some of that. All of us know what obscurity feels like. Every one of us you've ever been fired, you know the feeling. If you've ever come in fourth or fifth place in a competition, you know what it's like. If you've ever been broken up with or divorced, if you've been overlooked for a promotion, if you've been abused in some way, if you've been cheated, if you've been poor, you know what it feels like. To feel obscure and unimportant and insignificant and inconsequential, and to wonder whether your life's going to make a difference, and and what's not what's needed is not psychobabble. You can do it. You, it's hollow. What's needed? What's needed is the kind of stuff we've talked about this morning. You need to be filled, conspicuously filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to take a posture where you don't promote yourself, but you give God credit. You need to, you need to be grateful, not bitter, for the kinds of stuff that's gone on in your life. And, and as praise comes your way, you need to recognize and believe the truth, and that is that I don't deserve that. And if it wasn't for the gifts that God's given me, the abilities, the resources, the opportunities... None of that would be true. I am not the wisest, most intelligent man or woman in the land. I am not whatever, fill in the blank. If I'd been born in a different place, if I'd been educated differently, if I'd, uh, my life would be different. It's a gift. It's a gift. When we look at life that way, you and I can rise above Obscurity. We may not become second in command as Joseph did. That's another. That's another part of the message that, if time were no object, we would talk about. Because some of us live our lives as though, okay, if I do this, then I'm going to be. I may not be the CEO, but I'll be the CFO. You know, or if I do this, you know, I'll I'll be this or I'll be that or whatever in this life. And and the truth of the matter is. A lot of people that uh, are walking with God who never become the chief steward of the land of Egypt, much less the chief steward of a prison or the chief steward, uh, captain of the guard, or get out of the pit. It's not really about that. Because all of those kinds of things The potential exists for you and me to struggle and suffer and hurt and God be glorified in the midst of that somehow. We may not become second in command as Joseph did, but we can become someone great in God's eyes. We can become someone who's making a difference, someone like Mary, who I started out telling you about in the beginning. We can become someone like Jesus, who though he was God, was born into poverty and obscurity. He humbly served those he created. Things did not always go right for Jesus and the flesh. He ended up laying down his life for us now, the day is coming when he will be promoted. He's been promoted to the highest place. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. And we don't even begin to grasp what that courtroom looks like, that scene. It is, we really don't. That will be what his return is all about. He's realizing that he came the first time to suffer. He'll come the second time to reign. Two different things. with all that in mind, I want to close with a couple of verses of Scripture that I encourage you to write these down because you may want to look at them in the future. In light of the fact that you and I may not be the second in command someday, how do we view all of this? I'll just give you one passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Scripture says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And hear the perspective, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What's the point? For some of us, rising above obscurity will be on the other side in eternity when God, who sees all, knows all, promotes you. And here's the thing. If we put into practice what we learned from Joseph, we just set the stage so maybe the promotion can come now too. We can make a difference in the meantime. God is honored by that. You'll be blessed because of that. If not now in eternity, the world will be a better place. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. Hope you'll reflect on these things. You'll choose to follow in the example of Joseph and Jesus, all right? Let's bow our heads and pray. Glad you made it this morning, and we'll be dismissed. If you need prayer for something, come on down afterwards. we would be happy to pray for you about whatever, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person here. Father, you know that every one of us understands what it means to, to feel insignificant and obscure and like what we're... Bad things have gone on and we just don't understand what to do with that. And um, God, we just bring all those things to you this morning. We are grateful that there is hope in Scripture. We're grateful that eternity is coming. We thank you, Father, that uh, we have the example of Joseph, the example of Jesus, the example of countless others in Scripture who were filled with your spirit and made a difference because they modeled the very things that Joseph did. Help us to walk in their ways, to learn from them. Help us to humble ourselves that you might be lifted up, that the world might be a better place. Thank you, Father, for every single person here Reflect on the, help us to reflect on these things, the things that you want each of us to ponder. And we will give you credit for the good that results because you alone are good. Go with us now as we leave. We lift this prayer together in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. 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 Bless you all.